This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Eamon Dunphy. Now, last night, there were 885 people in hospital with COVID, 32 people in intensive care units. It appears that there is a wave, a new wave of the Omicron variant or a variant of Omicron. And it is a summer wave that it's being described as. And um, it is affecting uh, people. Eileen Whelan is the HSE national lead for vaccine, for the vaccination program. And she is very concerned that fewer than one third of people who are immunocompromised have received a second booster dose, which of course you can get to date. And also there's concern at the low uptake of the vaccine among people in the at risk groups, but whether it's immunocompromised or age-related. We're joined now by uh, Professor Christine Losher, who's Professor of Immunology at DCU. And uh, Christine, we're very grateful to you for joining us because I can understand the complacency because the impression was given to us about two months ago that COVID was over and off we you can go off now and do what you want. Don't wear masks don't have to social distance, and away we go. Uh, that was a mistake, was it? Hi, Eamon. Uh, thanks a million for having me on again. Um, I can't believe we're still talking about COVID. Um, and, and, and you're right, it certainly hasn't gone away. Um, I think the, the advice, I suppose, a few months ago was we were just coming out of the first Omicron wave. Cases had been lower. Vaccine uptake was great. And at the time, I suppose the requirement for all of those things, given that the translation into severity and hospitalizations and ICUs wasn't what we had seen before, was, the, the, I suppose, the right thing to do at the time, because, you know, it, it, the requirement for us to have all these measures in place really went away. COVID didn't. But yes. the, the, the real implications for COVID, like they were in previous waves, um, around severity and and deaths, it just wasn't it wasn't there this time. And there's lots of reasons why it wasn't there. And and really the primary reason was the vaccination program and the success of the vaccination program. Um, 
And I think we just have to remember that the the really good position that we're in now, even during this this current wave, is primarily because of the level of population immunity that we have with vaccines. It's hard to understand how people who are immunocompromised, as I am myself, in fact, haven't bothered with getting a second booster dose to date. And it's clearly worrying uh, Eileen Whelan, who is the national lead, the HSE's national lead, because she thinks that uh, it is making the problem worse. And there is a degree of complacency she, what she, the way, how she puts it, Christine, is, is this. She says, the fear, quote, of COVID has disappeared. And that, I can understand that. People aren't afraid anymore. Oh my God, I've got it. And, um, that fear factor is gone. Hence, people don't bother with the second booster jab. Yeah, so I think there's a few things going on here. I suppose we, we're an awful lot more comfortable, I suppose, with COVID than we were before. And, and that's because that fear is not there because the comfort has really been provided in the background by, by our immunity and yes. our vaccines. I think there's a few things that have gone on in terms of the boosters. I think that when Omicron hit um, coming into the end of last year and early into this year, I think once we started seeing data come out and we all held our breath to see was it going to be a very severe um, illness, we started to see data coming out that said it didn't really infect deep in the lungs in terms of giving that pneumonia that we've been associating with very severe COVID, that the chances of that were less, that the virus was really good at infecting people, but not as good at causing severe infection. I think everyone kind of breathed a bit of a sigh of relief and we started to see lots of people around us getting milder illnesses and even though the sheer volume of cases translated into lots of hospitalizations um icu figures didn't do as badly as they would have done with that case number in previous waves and i think that in terms of the degree of comfort we started to hear an awful lot about well it's much more mild now and if you get it it's not going to be as bad and i think that the urgency um about getting additional uh, booster vaccines just declined very, very quickly, that the focus on the vaccination program wasn't there as much, that people didn't feel like they needed that extra dose because this was only going to be mild and it was more of an inconvenience than anything else. And I think that we had all those degrees of comfort because we happen to have one of the highest vaccination levels in the world. Yes. And And I think if you look at the other side of it is, is that when we started to look at hospitalization figures, you start to look at deaths, start to look at ICUs. The figures were all always really high for people who weren't vaccinated. So there was always a correlation between vaccination and less severity. And we saw that, but I don't think that message came across very, very clearly. And then the other thing is, if you look at the comparison um, in an Omicron wave to somewhere like Hong Kong, where their population is a very elderly population, and they have a lot of people over the age of 65, their vaccine uptake was awful in their in their over 65s because they had a zero a COVID policy. They had no population immunity. When Omicron hit them, they had the highest debt rate in the world at any yes. stage in the pandemic. And that is the that is the way you see the value of having a vaccine because even if people have come to the conclusion, well, the vaccine doesn't stop you getting it, so what's the point of getting the booster? The protection against severity and hospitalization can't be under underestimated. 
And it's very, very clear when you let Omicron run loose in a in a, a, a population of people that aren't vaccinated. Their death rate was huge. So I think in terms of the booster campaign, I think now that we're having another surge um, and we're seeing lots of case numbers around, I do think that we need to reiterate that the value of having the booster, which yes. is really pumping up your neutralizing antibody levels. So as soon as the COVID hits your body, you've got antibody there to try and deal with it, which lessens your your risk of actually developing an infection. If you the longer you move away from that booster, that last shot, we know that you get less antibody present right there to deal with it. We know that you have this other type of immunity, your T-cell immunity, that'll keep you from getting very severely sick. But your best chance of not getting COVID is having the highest neutralizing antibody levels. And you get those in the first few months after vaccination. So that's the value of it. And we should be reiterating that for people right now, that that's where the value is. Is it fair to say that COVID will be with us for forever? I saw uh, one doctor saying, that it would be with us for centuries and that we have to factor it in now that it will come in waves and that, for example, in Australia now where it's winter, they have a very bad flu and it's hurting people badly uh, having just got rid of a, a wave, a COVID wave. Yeah, so I think there's, first of all, there's absolutely no doubt that we're going to be dealing with COVID for a long time to come. I mean, certainly and potentially within our lifetimes. So, right. and I think, you know, if we look at the way, and, and I know we don't like compare COVID and flu because they're actually very different in terms of their behavior and their, their, the way in which they mutate and their, the way in which they infect. And I think if you look at flu and this yearly flu that we have where we check out what's happening around the world, we develop the, the vaccine for this winter, depending on what we think are going to be the strains that are going to cause us problems. And we vaccinate people against that. And I think what's what's going to happen with, with COVID-19 into the future is, is that we're already starting to see that we have an Omicron-specific uh, uh, COVID vaccine. And there's potential for that to be rolled out this winter. Um, one, of the, one of the issues, obviously, with vaccine evasiveness of the current Omicron variants that we're dealing with is that the vaccination, you know, we're vaccinating against the original strain. We're so yes. far away from it. If we're vaccinating against this specific variant or subvariant, we really will impact in, in terms of decrease in case numbers and protecting against getting infection, not just severity. So I, that's a really good example of that we've managed to kind of tweak our vaccine technology now to match what the, what the, what the variant is. And if we can continually do that, we can kind of keep up with the virus a little bit. I mean, we do have the disadvantage that the virus is unpredictable. So We'll have heard in the news this week that there's a new sub-variant of yes. BA2 now starting to emerge in India. And we're starting to see it kind of popping up in, in countries around the world where they are keeping an eye on sequences. So we have to say, well, how is that going to play out? And how how vaccine evasive is the variant? That's the first question we always ask is, how 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 is it going to get around the vaccine that we've given people already? And yeah. how severe is it going to be? So far... We've been lucky enough that our vaccines are still pr providing protection. But I think the more specific vaccines gives us the ability to be able to try and plan for what the next waves are going to be in terms of variants and try and play the game that we played flu, which is to be able to develop yes. things and tweak things. 
But all the time in the background, the one thing that we've seen is that population immunity from whatever variant of COVID that people have had or are vaccinated against is still providing some protection against whatever variant we're dealing with now. So that's really good indication that population immunity will serve us well into the future. Um, so I, I think we're going to be dealing with it for a while, but I think we have the technology in place to be able to manage it better. And of course, all the time, the new antivirals that we're developing will give us an additional tool um, to be able to manage it better. So it's been a taken over our lives for the last few years. In 10 years time, if we're still dealing with COVID outbreaks, they won't impact our lives the way they did in the last few years. I mean, even now, this COVID surge is not impacting our lives and our lifestyle in the way that the one did last summer. So, Yeah, can you tell us about the antivirals? These are really, um, we hear about them, and when we heard about them, I think they, I might be wrong, but uh, it may have been in the United States that they were developed. But However, they are, they're, they're pills. Uh, is that right? Yeah, so essentially the way the antivirals work is is that there's a couple of them that have been developed at the moment. One of them is in combination with another known antiviral. One of them is a, a new one for just for COVID. They basically interfere with how the virus replicates in the body. So it stops the viruses from replicating. Um, and, and so if you can imagine when the virus gets into the body, you want to get that pill on board quite quickly so that the virus doesn't establish um, a, a good infection by replicating millions of times and putting lots of viral load in there. Um, yes. So you want to get it in quickly. So antivirals are good if you can get them in within the first day or two of you knowing that you're kind of have a viral infection or you're brewing COVID or you've been exposed. They're not as good when a viral um, uh, infection is very well developed because there's a bigger hill to climb in terms of the amount of virus that's there at the time. So right. virus gets in, it replicates, it does that for, you know, the first five or six days, your immune system kicks in and then it starts to decline. So if you get the antivirals in too late, they don't do much more than your immune system. So there's been a lot of success with them. I think the things that they're tweaking around with, Eamon, is how long they have to give them to people for. There was some reports that they were giving them for five days in the UK and then people were getting bounce back infections. So all the virus wasn't gone and then started right. to replicate. So there's a lot of promise in antivirals. They're a great tool to have if you know somebody has COVID, you know it's early and they're particularly vulnerable um, in that the, the virus will impact them in a very severe way. They're great tools to have on board. Um, but I think we're going to see much better and you know, much more sophisticated antivirals into the future. There's loads of them in clinical trials. Um, there's hundreds of antivirals being developed around the world. So there's a lot of promise in terms of treating COVID-19 and not just vaccinating against it into the future. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact... 
you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Have you watched what's happening in China uh, in particular, um, and Shanghai was closed down, a city of 25 million people, the biggest city in China, actually, and the most, where the most commercial activity takes place, hugely important to their economy. Yet they have what they call a zero COVID policy. I think there were people here who believed in a zero COVID policy as well. And I was one of them. Uh, but I mean, there were serious people who believed in it as well. People who were in, like you, immunologists. Um, the Chinese are really frightened now that their economy will grind to a halt and they are periodically locking people in their homes in the most severe lockdowns that one could possibly imagine. It, was the whole zero COVID thing uh, a, a mistake? Well, I mean, I suppose the, 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 the approach I always had when it came to my views on, on COVID was, it was about the minimizing risk for people, the slowing down of the spread. And really, in the initial days, it was all about, you know, how long can we do this for before somebody develops a vaccine? Yes. Um, now, now that we have vaccines, you know, zero COVID policies are, you know, potentially not the best way to go into the future, because if you look at the zero COVID policy in Hong Kong and now look at what happened when they got a wave. Yes. Fairly what everybody thought was a mild variant. Um, they ended up having a really, really severe experience with it. So I, I really think that the, you know, what's happening in China at the moment is, is that I suppose they'd be quite strict in terms of how they enforce lots of different rules in China outside of what we would consider to be okay in the Western world. So there's a big difference in terms of culture, etc. But the, the, I suppose because they were the source, because they saw the devastation that happened in their country, because of the economic implications for them, I think yes. that they are just trying to avoid such a disaster again. And remember, you know, they... They started off using their own vaccines, which which weren't as they were. They provided some good protection, but they certainly weren't as good as some of the vaccines that we used in, in the rest of the world. Yes. Um, and the other thing as well is, is that they they um, their economy obviously was huge, but they're very densely overpopulated. Infection control yes. 
Infection control is very difficult. They can't use some of the measures that we used around social distancing and and um, other um, other aspects that we kind of relied on, which is obviously heavily vaccination. But I don't know the value of those severe lockdowns into the future in terms of improving general population immunity. Um, because especially now that we're dealing with subvariants that are not causing the same severity and deaths. Um, but they, I think they are more making those decisions based on their economy um, rather than, you know, th- the fact that it's impacting on health. And I think that's just because they suffered yes. so severely the first time around. I think they're just being exceptionally cautious. Now, the, the idea of living with COVID, is that that's really what we're doing, is it, Christina? We are in this phase, if you like. We're living with COVID. When I go out, People are in restaurants, uh, no masks. Uh, they're in shops, no masks. A lot of people on public transport, the majority, no masks. Are we unwise to dispense with the mask as a, you know, a protection, even if it's a protection for other people rather than yourself? Mm. Yeah, um, no, I- or do we need to rethink, as it, as it were, where we are? I see the Taoiseach saying he's, He's worried that although, in in his words, the latest variants aren't as virulent as they once were, but he urged people to get their vaccine shot, their booster, if they need it. But at the moment, they're not insisting on masks and social distancing, for example, the way we were. Is that wise? Yeah, I know we had this conversation before, Eamon, the last time there was a bit of a surge and there was a huge question around masks at the time because we just finished the mask mandate. Yes. And I think that, you know, people, the word they say the word mandate now, people kind of like, you know, that everyone has their backs up. I think that was a very controversial conversation at the time. And I suppose my views haven't changed, which is that masks are a really good tool and we yes. should be encouraging them as a primary tool to use when we are experiencing surges. And I think yes. the one thing that I have, you know, when we when you ask, like, are we living with COVID? We are living with COVID, but I think we could do a little bit better. And I think the bit that we're missing at the moment is, is that, you know, every, so we've had all this conversation for the last three or four weeks. Are we in a surge? Is this a surge? The numbers are going up. The positivity rates are going up. Do we really know how many numbers we have? And we don't because Everybody knows so many people now with COVID at the moment. Yes, I I've, do too. I I've mean, just had COVID. You know, half my yeah. family have just had COVID. My mother-in-law is in hospital with COVID. You know, like there's there's all this stuff going on at the moment. Anecdotally, everybody is sensing that the community level of COVID is very high at the moment. What we're not getting is a very clear message coming out when this happens to say community levels are very high at the moment. We are experiencing a surge of COVID Here's a reminder of the tools that you can use to minimize your risk. And that's what we should all be doing. And the first thing in that toolbox, the first two things in the toolbox is, am I up to date with whatever vaccine is available to me, whether it's a booster, a second dose, or even the thinking still about going for your first dose? Am I up to date with that? And am I wearing a mask in the environments that require it? And in my mind, when there is a COVID surge like we're having at the moment, there should be a very strong encouragement for everyone to wear masks again on public transport, in crowded shops and in any setting where they feel that there is, you know, that there is a risk. And 
it's almost like what we should be doing is if we're going to go through these surges every three or four months, if these if Omicron keeps changing in terms of the subvariants yes. that we're getting, we should be all able to kind of say every couple of months go, bit of a surge at the moment, grand, I'll just pop on the mask in these few situations and then the, the, the risk decreases for everybody. Those are very simple things to do. Nobody's t- we will never go back to those lockdowns that we had before. Our population right. immunity will prevent us from doing that because we don't need to worry about sever- severity and deaths and ICUs in the same way as we did in the first few waves. So we're not talking about the controversial lockdowns. And, you know, we've, I've all heard the comments on the radio and people have said, oh, they'll all be shouting now for lockdowns. They'll all be shouting. All the immunologists yes. and the scientists will be out shouting for stuff. <laughs> it's I just think the public followed very, very good, clear guidelines on public yes. health. We, we adjusted our behavior when we were told this is the best thing you can do at the moment. And all of those things were temporary and they were short lived. Wearing a mask for a few weeks is a, a temporary measure that just decreases risk. And the more people that do it, the better we will do. And I think that's a better way of living with COVID. That we slightly adjust behavior when we think there's a bit of a surge. Yes. And then we all go back to normal when there isn't. And I, we have to get into the habit of doing that until we've got, you know, more specific vaccines that are really going to impact on our case numbers, um, as opposed to only, well, not only, but predominantly working at the moment on severity and and hospitalizations. It is just about, this is what we do when we have a bit of a surge. And that needs to be part of the plan moving forward. And I think that's what living with COVID is. It, It needs a response when there is a surge. It needs a collective response, and that needs to be guided by yes. public health. Just two final questions, uh, Christine. In Australia now, they have a severe flu, a winter flu, and they attribute that to, I suppose, they they had a, a, a winter, they had a wave of Omicron uh, before, and now we had no flu, Brits had no flu. Now they've got a really bad flu. Why would that be? And can we expect that? And wouldn't the masks help with that? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that we saw when we all started wearing masks was, you know, the transmission of lots of other um, uh, uh, bugs went went down and, and people kind of, you know, said that they had less colds and less flus. Now, we were yes. all not socialising the way we are now and we were we were minimising contact. So obviously that was impacting as well. Um in terms of all of a sudden a bad flu, like that can happen every few years anyway, that there's a particularly bad strain of the flu. Yes. I mean, we had an incident about 10 years ago where, you know, the vaccine just didn't cover a strain that kind of came out of nowhere. And we just had a very bad flu season. So that can happen. Other things that can happen is, is that, you know, that 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 has just come out of the blue and we didn't have a vaccine to cover it. Or it could be that there's a bad flu at the moment because their uptake on their flu vaccine was very poor because their focus right. was all about the COVID vaccine. And, you know, we are talking about doing dual vaccination for COVID and flu into the into the future, which might solve that problem. Um, or it could be that, you know, people have had COVID and our slightly immune systems are slightly compromised and maybe just picked up flu a little bit easier. So there's a number of different things that can happen. Normally what happens in the Southern Hemisphere in, in their winter, we take into consideration how we develop vaccines for our next winter. So potentially this will obviously come into the surveillance of the CDC and the um, ECDC and, and all of that information is used about the future development of flu vaccines. So 
it may be that they include those things in, in our flu vaccine for next year. Um, but it, but it can happen that you just get a strain. It just happens to mutate and it's a particularly bad one on any given year. A final question about long COVID, particularly relevant to young people who I see walking around. And I, I was young myself one day and I was a bit of a lad. <laughs> but <laughs> they, they walk around. I see the young boys and girls and they're going out to all dressed up, going into town, being young, being normal. Not a worry, not a mask, no social distancing and all of that. Long COVID, is that something that people should be concerned about and aware of? Yeah, absolutely, Eamon. And I think that, you know, the conversations about long COVID are happening more and more, I think, which is really, really positive. I think that, yes. you know, the for a while, I think it was, you know, oh, some people just didn't recover very well and they maybe just didn't get over it very well. And I think there was a lot of, dismissal i think initially of of long yes. covid but now we're seeing a lot of science that is really supporting long covid in terms of cardiovascular neurological and um, muscle systems like really just about the impact of the virus really outside of being a predominantly respiratory virus and very much a focus on that and i think that there's now i think an increasing awareness that that is a risk and it's something I thought about a couple of weeks ago when, when I had COVID and I was thinking, OK, well, you know, I'm, I'm fully vaccinated. I'm boosted. Yes. This is not as bad as the COVID I got before I was vaccinated. It was like chalk and cheese. But yes. I was starting to kind of wonder, you know, can I, is there still going to be some long lasting effects? Now, I'm not feeling those and I've been incredibly lucky. Um, but at the same time, the awareness of the additional risk of getting COVID is something that cannot be overemphasized enough yes. because it is, you know, people dismiss COVID now because it can be mild in lots of people, but the risk is still there for long COVID. And I think we're not going to really see the full impact of the virus in terms of people's health, um, on, uh, you know, until until the next few years. And, and I yes. think that now people can be cautious and there are things that you can do to minimize you know, your risk of getting COVID and whatever you can do to minimize getting COVID should always be encouraged because you cannot predict who gets really sick and who doesn't. You can't predict who gets long COVID and you just can't predict how you how you are when you're infected with COVID, but also how you recover. And I think that's just not talked about enough. Okay, we're very grateful to you, Christine, Professor Christine Losher is Professor of Immunology at DCU and we really are grateful to her. Thanks to all of you for listening. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.